the rest of us are going to be opening up our Bibles in the book of Daniel. And so today I'm starting a, believe this or not, a four-part, a four-part series on the four kings of the book of Daniel. And is going to get tied and connected to um, what Pastor Jay has been preaching about reclaiming our culture. Oh, yes. You're going to see how I'm going to connect this stuff. I, we shall see. That's why I need to read this, these chapters in Daniel because I need a little revelation and knowledge. But So I'm going to be doing this very much like an expository message where I'm going to go through the verses. For those of you that really enjoy that. Right? Um, so I'm going to be reading out of Daniel chapter 1, and I'm really going to be read, reading one verse. And we're going to be reading verse number 8. Half of verse number 8. And we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let's read it again. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And may God bless his word in our lives this morning. So, let's start with the background. And some of you may know the background or... Or not, but I want to encourage you that every week we're going to be doing a few chapters in the book of Daniel. So today's message goes from chapter 1 through 4. So I would suggest that you read Daniel's chapter 1 through 4. Not right now, not right this minute, but <laughs> when you get home or when you're doing your devotional. And um, next week we're going to be doing chapters 5 through 8, right? But we're going to talk about these four kings that um, Daniel, or actually I should say that they had the opportunity and the blessing to have Daniel as an officer in their kingdoms. That's the way I'm going to see it. Not that Daniel had the opportunity. They had the opportunity. Oh, don't you know? Don't you know who you are? As believers, when we go to work in different places or we're involved in, in different um, community uh, committees. They're blessed to have us. Not we're blessed to be part of their committee. You're blessed to have me because I have to know who I am because with me, wherever I go, walks the Holy Spirit. So they're blessed to have us. The Holy Spirit goes with us. And so um, in, this, in this first part of the series, we're talking about reclaiming identity, all right? Next week is about the gifts. The third week is about faith. And the fourth week is about reclaiming the land. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Every single one of these kings is connected to something that we're going to be talking about with regards to reclaiming culture. So in these first 
chapters, we get a sort of just like a quick snapshot of Daniel and where he came from. And we know that, um, that uh, the king that was involved in this, in this first section that we're talking about is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king. And so he besieged Jerusalem, right? Took them captive. And God allowed them to take the king and 10,000 Hebrews. 10,000. I want you to remember that number as we go along. And so within that number, um, as all kings were known to do, they would always take the elite from each government that they were uh, taking over. And this was with an intention. We take all of your governors, if we take all of your leadership, if we take those, you know, brand new, bright um, young people that are coming up, then what's left are people that are going to have no leadership and no guidance, and they'll follow whatever we want them to do. See, that's the intent. And so Daniel happened to fall into this group of young men that were taken between the ages of 10 and 18. So we, we know historically that Daniel had to be between the ages of 10 and 18 when he went to Babylon as one of the captives. We know from reading the book of Jeremiah that God had spoken a prophetic word and said that the, the uh, Jewish people would be held in captivity for 70 years. Right? So Daniel becomes part of this group of young men that were taken to serve the Babylonian king. And so they weren't looking for just anybody. They were looking very specifically. You know, first of all, you had to be good looking. God forbid that the king would have to look at somebody that wasn't that great looking. Everybody around him had to be good looking. Right? And the scripture tells us that he came from the royal family. So he was actually a member of the family of David. Daniel was. He was known for wisdom, even at that age, for knowledge and intelligence. He had a gifting for dream interpretation. Now, you can't miss next week. We're going to be talking about giftings. So dream interpretation. The Bible tells us that he was listed as one of three righteous men. Now, Pastor Jay, he spoke about that last week when he mentioned Ezekiel chapter 14. And Ezekiel chapter 14 mentions three men that are highlighted in Scripture. God highlights three men. Noah, right? Job, and Daniel. Now, I would even dare to go further than that and say that even from those three men, Daniel is the only one that the Scripture has zero, zero, zero mention of anything negative attached to his name. See? Now, we know about Noah. As soon as that ark landed, I don't know where he found it, but he got a hold of some, some booze, and he got himself nice and high, and he was running around naked, right? And that caused a series of problems. Now everybody's looking, Genesis, where's that chapter, right? We know about Job, that in the midst of his situation, at one point he just was so upset with God. He may have said a few things that he otherwise would not have. 
But yet you look at Daniel, and if you read the whole book of Daniel, you never see one time that Daniel stepped out of knowing who he was. He knew exactly who he was before God. He knew exactly who he was before kings. He knew exactly who he was before other officials. He knew exactly who he was among his own people. Through the message, I want you to ask yourself, does anyone that I go around in other circles know who I am? Do the circles that I travel in, do people know that I am a believer? Do people know that I'm a Christian? Do people know that I have a different lifestyle? Because this is not just something we do on Sundays. As believers, this is a lifestyle that we have chosen to pursue and to discipline ourselves into. See? Discipline ourselves. And I have to tell you that because the holidays are coming. Oh, yes. And everything gets spiked. Eggnog, fruitcake, everything is spiked. And, you know, people get, people get a little out of control when they get involved with alcohol. And that's, you know, we tell you, listen, you got to preserve your temple. And when you get a little out of control, you might act a little differently around the circles you're in. And then they say, but aren't you a Christian? Don't you go, on to, go to church on Sundays? And what's happening here? Go back to Daniel and let that be your mirror of reflection. Right? That's on the side. That was a bonus. So the scripture tells us that Daniel um, had three equally young friends. And um, let me see. I have it written here. He had equally... uh, Christian, uh, not Christian, I'm sorry, Jewish friends who were Hananiah, which we know as Sadrach, uh, Mishael, who we know as Meshach, and Azariah, who we know as Abednego, right? For some reason, Daniel is always remembered by his, his Hebrew name, and the three friends are always remembered by their Babylonian names. I guess it's a lot easier to say Daniel than to say Belteshazzar. I can't even say it. Belteshazzar. Daniel. People called him Daniel. And so we also learned that his name Daniel meant judgment. See? So his Hebrew name Daniel meant judgment, and the king gave him the name Belteshazzar. Belshazzar. 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 Oh, look it up in Daniel. Which means that the God of Bel would protect him. So he was the only one that the king had given this special honor of this special name. And so there's an intention with the change of name with regards to identity. And the purpose of the change of name is to strip them of all of their past identity. Strip them. You know, you're not a Hebrew anymore. Now you have Babylonian names. You don't wear Hebrew clothing anymore. Now you wear Babylonian clothing. And so we see that when you go to prison, what do they do? They give you either an orange or blue or green uh, uniform kind of outfit. And now you have a number attached to you. Now, if you, if you watched history, you saw... Uh, during the Holocaust, that 
these poor Jewish people, right, they were tattooed numbers on their wrists, and that number identified who they were now. And so now we go from, we're not just changing your name, but we're giving you a number, so we dehumanize you even more. And so you're catching, you're going where I'm going with this? And so there was an intention in everything a king did when he was taking over another kingdom. Everything from, I'm taking your best and your brightest, I'm taking your governors, I'm taking your leadership, I'm changing your name, I'm changing your clothing. And then we get to this scene in Daniel where now he's changing how they eat and the things that they take in. So the ages of 10 to 18 are crucial ages because if Daniel and his friends had not had the background that they had, the rearing up that they had, the teachings that they had, I can assure you that after 70 years of captivity, they would have definitely been, been now known as Babylonians. You're talking about 70 years Daniel stayed in that captivity. He saw that whole captivity through till the end. 70 years. Okay? So they needed to have that, that structure, that foundation at that early age that was strong enough for the first challenge that they had. The first challenge. You're in a new place, different people. You have all kinds of soldiers watching over you. They're bringing you food, and now you're looking at it, and it's something that you would not eat because it's not kosher, something you wouldn't drink because the wine was dedicated to the false gods. So here you find yourself, young men, willing to confront the issue of, okay, you've changed my clothing, you've changed my name, but you're not changing who God made me to be. That takes an understanding of who you are. That takes an understanding of your identity in Christ Jesus. That's what it takes. And so here these, these young men make this decision, and they decide, you know what? We can't eat this. And the scripture tells us that Daniel used knowledge and tact. Knowledge and tact. He knew how to go about it. He didn't say, I'm not eating this slop. He didn't say that. Because I'll tell you one thing, they would have made him eat it. He didn't say that. He used tact and knowledge given to him by God. And what he said was, can you put us to the test? Can you give us 10 days? And if in 10 days we don't look healthy, in 10 days we don't look better than those that are around us, then we will do whatever you tell us to do. See? And the scripture was faithful and true in that it said that they, they did, they excelled what anyone else did. They looked healthier than anyone else. I mean, because this is a, 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 quite a slap. The, the king was giving you food off his table, so he's giving you what he eats, and he's giving you what he drinks, and you're saying that's not good enough. It's not good enough. It wasn't good enough for them. They were not going to defile themselves because they had made a decision that they were not going to defile themselves themselves with anything that they found in the king's palace. And so these young men were entering into a three-year program of training. They, they were learning 
knowledgeable things about Babylon. They were learning languages. They were then, after three years, they had to be tested. Go before the king and be tested. And they had to pass the test. Okay? Now, this thing about the king taking the assets of Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Israel, he, he made sure that he took all the assets that they had. And, you know, I, I put a question here on the side of my margin that says, where are you devoting your personal assets? Right? Because I refuse to give to the world what I won't give to the kingdom. See? And we'll explore this more next week when we talk about giftings. But I, every section of this message, I want you to write that question. It, there's going to be questions that I want you to ask. As parents, are you giving your children that foundation that they need? So when it's their turn to take a stand, they can take a stand for Christ. Because the time is coming. It's already coming. We're not popular. Christians are not popular. Right? And so the next question to write down is, where am I devoting my personal assets? Where am I devoting what God has given to me? What am I putting all my effort into? Because let me tell you, secular jobs will, will suck the life out of you. They'll take everything that you have to give. And when you drop dead at your desk, they're going to step over you and hire the next person. <laughs> that is the absolute truth. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? It's a business, and it's out to make money. So you have to say, where do I put my assets? Do I put my assets into something that is not going to give me no return? Or do I put my assets into the kingdom? Because in the kingdom, everything, everything is profitable. In the kingdom, everything is an asset that has a return. Now, if you missed Wednesday, I'm sorry, but Wednesday we really talked about the reward of the seeker. And how is it that God takes pleasure as our father to reward us when we seek after him? When we follow him, when we're obedient to him and his word, he takes pleasure in absolutely just rewarding us. And you know what? Reward sometimes looks silly. It will look silly to you. It's like my husband and I, we have this thing. We're driving somewhere. We always pray this prayer. Isn't this true, honey? And anybody been in our car knows this for a fact. We say, Lord, if it pleases you, can you give us a parking near the front? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Every single time. Lord, if, and it looks silly to you, say, what? I mean, God has more important things to do taking care of the whole universe than worrying about your parking spot. Oh, no, the scripture tells me that everything that's important to me, everything that has value to me is important to God. Everything. Because it says that if I seek his righteousness, all things, mm, not some things, all things will be added unto me. And so every time we go for parking, and my husband always adds, but Lord, if it's not your will, then we, we'll be happy with that too. We'll praise you anyway. That's the phrasing. We'll praise you anyway. And then when we get into the parking, thank you, Lord, for these little things that you give us. Thank you, Jesus, for my parking spot. Thank you, Lord. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It might look silly to you. Think about some of the things that you've asked God for. You know, and, and then you get it and it just goes by your mind. You don't stop to think that this was a reward that God gave you because you asked for it. So many things. I could think of so many, but I'm not going back to my message from Wednesday. So many things that I didn't say about the rewards that look silly to us. But here, Daniel was trusting God, and all he wanted was to eat food that was not contaminated and not drink anything that was offered to idols. And he says, I want to be righteous. The scripture says he's a righteous man. I want to be righteous. And so God says, I'm rewarding your righteousness and I'm giving you favor with this official. And he's going to give you those 10 days you asked for. And on top of that, I'm going to give you health. And on top of that, I'm going to give you knowledge. And on top of that, I'm going to give you wisdom. And on top of that, I'm going to just take your gifting and blow it up. And they'll have no other choice but to acknowledge that there's something different in you that they have to have at the palace. Oh, yes. That's scripture. This is good stuff, right? I've been chewing on this all week. Mm, mm, mm. So there was four things that Daniel and his friends had to remember. One, there was no other gods before the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. Number two, not to defile themselves with food or drink. Mm-hmm. Number three, to honor the king God placed in office. Oh, wait. Pause, stop, put your finger there. That's a hard thing to do. All of these kings that Daniel was able to work under, all of these kings were pagan kings. They didn't have any type of kingdom value. See? So here he had to honor them. When does it become an issue to honor is when whatever they ask you to do is going to go against what you know God wants you to do. Do you understand? I've confronted this. I had to arrange a, a dinner, a fundraising dinner. I'm not, I'm just not care for fundraising. I had to do a fundraising dinner, and at the fundraising dinner, guess what's the one thing that everybody wanted? An open bar. Mm-mm, That wasn't happening. No, we got to have this bar because people won't come unless they could drink. Well, that's not the purpose of the fundraiser. The purpose of the fundraiser is to get funding for children in education. And so since we're going to have a lot of kids there, I don't think that's a good example for us to be drinking with kids there. Mm. What, did, what was it that Daniel had? Knowledge and tact. So then, of course, when you mention the children and the children being there with their families, then all of a sudden was, hmm, we can't have an open bar. No, I guess, I guess we can't. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Honoring the king that God places there. The most difficult thing. If the individual that wins an election is not your candidate. Mm-hmm. What do we find these days? We have a lot of people that are sore losers. We, we do. In everything. I was telling my husband, you find this everywhere. There is a change in our society where if we, if we don't win at what we want, then we become really bad 
losers. And we become lawless. You don't have to believe me. Get on your Google thing here and take a look at the news and you're going to see the things that are happening because people are not happy because their candidates didn't win. Now, as believers, this is why I'm bringing this up. I don't care who you vote for. This is not why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing it up because we as believers are called to do one thing. And what's that? Pray for our officials. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to pick up a, a, one of those card things and start walking around doing all kind of, uh, what do you call that? Protests. It says it right there, protests. Right? We're not called to that. We're called to pray. And not only to pray for those that are in power over us, but we're supposed to pray for those that are advisors to them. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Cyrus. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you historically through the news how these things are affected and advisors are affected, those that surround us. This is important. Those that are affected. So we should be praying. So when you see in the news that our vice president was being ridiculed because that he says that every morning he goes into office and the first thing he does is pray and that he relies and depends on the Holy Spirit, and he's ridiculed, and we're not praying for him, then we're not doing what the Bible tells us we should be doing. And our prayers need to support men and women of God. Am I right? Or am I right? Don't stop me going with Gino Jenkins. It's important that as believers, we know who we are and what God has called us to do. And he's called us to pray. And he's called us to fast. And he's called us to trust him. That's who he's called us. Because we're learning through these chapters, and we're going to read it in a minute, that God is the one that places. He places all principles. He places all kings. He places all presidents. He does it for divine purposes. See? And we as believers have to get it. We have to get it. And when we get into a, a polling site and we're going to go vote, the first thing we should be asking is, God, who do you want me to vote for? I want to follow what your Holy Spirit is directing me to do. I don't like this person, but I'm voting for them anyway because the Holy Spirit is telling me that I have to vote for them. Or you know what? I don't like this one. I don't want women in, in government, but the Holy Spirit is telling me I got to vote for this one. Whatever it might be, you have to trust God even in your election. Whatever that might be. Whether it's president, whether it's senator, whether it's you know, Congress, whatever it might be. You have to trust God with that. Right? All right. And the last thing, the four, or the four things, the last thing is to live a life of integrity. What is integrity? That you are the same person whether you're in a crowd of people or what you're by yourself. That is integrity. That you're walking by the statutes and the precepts that God is teaching us in his word. Live with integrity. That you never have to be ashamed of something that you've done or a position that you've taken or a decision that you've made. That you never have to feel ashamed of it because you're living by integrity and you're trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you in all things. Right? 
Amen. Thank you, Tom. And so the king tested Daniel and his friends, and he found them to be 10 times better than any of the officials that he currently had. He said, wait a minute. These four guys, they know more about my history. They know more about Bab- the Babylon Empire. And, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was Babylonian, but he was from a tribe of Chaldeans from Babylon. And this tribe of Chaldeans um, took a great emphasis on astronomy, reading the stars, what's going on up there. And so that's why in all of these courts, you're going to see, and in the readings that you do in Daniel, you're going to see that he had magicians and he had you know, uh, uh, diviners, and he had uh, all of these, he's had astronomers, because they put a strong emphasis on that. And so coming across men, young men that were so knowledgeable, just told him there's something special about them. And the scripture tells us that he put Daniel in high regard. So in these chapters, these four chapters, there's three major events that happen. Three major events. And a test is with each one of them. And so in the first event, it's the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule, and he has a dream. And in this dream, he's, he's sorely uh, tested by it. He's confused. He's anxious. And he calls all of these people I just mentioned. He he called his magicians. He called his astronomers. He called his his diviners. He called everybody. Come. And so he tells them, I've made a decision, and I want you to tell me what my dream is, and I want you to give me the interpretation. Well, then, of course, everybody flipped because they're saying, wait a minute. We can't interpret. you got to tell us what your dream is, and then we'll tell you what it is. He's like, no, no, no. You guys are supposed to be so highly skilled and highly gifted. Well, then you're going to tell me what this dream is. And if you can't tell me what this dream is, then that tells me that you've all conspired to do evil against me. Oh, he was on a roll. He got up on the wrong side of the bed after he had that dream. He said, oh, you've conspired to do evil against me. And so I'm going to give you till the morning for you to give me my dream and my interpretation. Otherwise, you're all going to be killed and not a pleasant death. It was going to be, they were going to be torn limb from limb, and their homes were going to be burned to rubble. Oh, yes, no pressure here. No pressure. And so these, these men that he called together, they started saying, but you're not being reasonable. No one can do this. Only God knows. The gods are the only ones that know these things. And, you, you know, you're being unreasonable. He says, I don't care. This is what I want. And so he sends out officials to look for every single one of these magi that were not there. And, of course, Daniel and his friends were not there. And so when, when, when Daniel gets a hold of the fact that they're putting together all of these people and there's trouble brewing in the palace, he goes and asks an official by the name of, I believe his name was Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. And he goes to him, he says, what's going on? What's happening? What's all this ruckus? Well, the king has made a decision. He's going to kill all of you by the morning. And so Daniel says, can he give us, can he give me a little time? And he said, well, you can go yourself right in there and ask him. 
It's interesting. You know, people, when, when they think their skin is going to get involved, they're like, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, you can go in there and ask the king, and Daniel went and asked the king with knowledge and tact. And the king gave him some time. And so what does Daniel do? He goes back home, gets together with his friends, and he says, we need to pray. We really need to pray because God needs to give us the revelation and the interpretation of this dream. And so here is the first lesson that Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are learning, and it's the power of prayer. The power of prayer. The power of prayer when two or more are gathered, the power of prayer. And so they begin to pray, and Daniel gets the revelation. And here we see in Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. This is what he says. Daniel 2, verses 20 to 22. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So right away, when he gets this blessing from God, he didn't run around saying, oh, look what I got. Look what I can do. No. He automatically, immediately, he begins to praise God and thank God for being able to give this dream back to the king and the revelation with it. And so I put another little question here. See, because Daniel's friends are learning spiritual lessons as they go along. So here's the question. What are your friends learning from you? I wrote it in the, aisle, in the, in the corner of my... What are your friends learning from you? You know, just recently our kids, you know, they, they celebrated our 60th birthday and, uh, you know, I love parties. And they did an awesome job. And they brought this very uh, longtime friend and coworker that I had from Florida. Now, this is the friend I spoke of, used to speak about her all the time. Hardcore Catholic, you know. And what I would do for, if, to evangelize her, I would throw books on my desk with catchy titles, you know. And I would throw on my desk and I'd go about doing my work and she always came in and she would look. Oh, that looks like an interesting book. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want to read it? I already finished it. You could read it. Take your time. There's no rush. She'd bring it back like two days later. See? And I would throw another book. And she would read it. And so before she left to Florida, she started visiting an Episcopalian church, which is a step down. I was like, mm-hmm. And she would start talking to me about, you know, like Joyce Myers and all these people she was listening to. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we would get into these wonderful conversations about God and the word. And she was always doing all of this so her mother wouldn't find out because her mother was hardcore Catholic. If her mother found out, she wasn't even talking to me about, you know, 
religious things, she'd be upset. So when they brought her to my party, and I hadn't seen her in a number of years because she moved to Florida, she tells me that she's going to a church that's exactly like mine. And she found God in Florida. And she's visiting a church. She says, I raise up my hands when they sing. I'm like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, me and my son, my son started going. We started going all together. My husband, he don't want to go, but that's him. I'm going to church. And I'm on hospitality and I'm greeting people. And I'm, do- and I'm like, praise the Lord. What are your friends learning from you? Have they learned that you serve a God who answers prayer? See? Have, have they learned that? I, I love that kind of stuff. I love when people come from all different floors in the government center. They will come to my office and say, I heard that you pray. Yeah, yeah, I do. But I tell you one thing, I'm just not slapping a prayer on you because if you come in for prayer, I'm going to deposit a seed of faith in your life and I'm going to tell you, these are the things that God has done. And because God has done this, he's going to do it for you too. And now we could pray. And I love the testimonies that will come back. You know, women that couldn't have babies and not having babies and on a father that was having emergency spinal surgeries walking the next day and you know you hear these things and you say god you are great in the things that you do so i had to ask you what are your friends learning from you write it down what are they learning from you about your faith and how you walk in it wow so Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 35. Daniel says, I have the answer. I have it. And so he goes in to the king and he says, this is what you dreamed. He says, you saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceedingly brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You notice that all descending in value, gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay, right? As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it was struck, no, it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. So they, they became dust. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone was struck No, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Hmm. Prophetic. Here you have a pagan king who's received a prophetic message. Yeah. So whenever you think that our president 
and not receive some direction from God. But yeah, he's the one that went and put our embassy back in Jerusalem. Oh, yes. The moment, oh, but I'm, I'm ahead of myself. That's going to be when we talk about Cyrus. I'm ahead of myself. I got to wait. Huh? Oh. Mmm. 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 I gotta wait. It's the fourth week. This is gonna kill me. Oh, but. but. <laughs> Every historical event that has happened in the news is connected. Is connected to Israel, is connected to blessing, is connected to that verse when God said, I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you, but I can't say no more because that's Cyrus. Back to Nebuchadnezzar. This is such good stuff. If you think that a pagan king cannot get prophetic messages and cannot be guided by God, you are so wrong, because we just said, read that God, he sets and places them, the good and even the bad. He places them for divine reasons. So, you know, it's that the Bible is so prophetic. When you read the Bible and when you think that this dream that the king had that um, Daniel interpreted, Daniel didn't even see what we're seeing now, because we've seen that, that um, prophecy fulfilled. Because Daniel only saw the gold head, and he saw the shoulders. And the, but Daniel only, he didn't get to see what happened with the legs and the feet and everything else. But we who are on this side of history are able to look and say, wow, that was a prophetic word that God gave to a pagan king. A pagan king. So the statue was revealing the different kingdoms, and we know that the rock was Jesus that just overtakes the whole world. Jesus, right? And then the scripture tells us this very interesting thing, that Nebuchadnezzar, he knelt down prostrate before Daniel. The king is kneeling before Daniel because of the fact that he knew the dream and he got the revelation. And he says, your God is the God of gods. You know, and he placed him in a high position. He made him a ruler over the providence and gave him authority over all the wise men. Now, isn't that cool? Giving him authority over all the wise men. No, you can't be saying that stuff. <laughs> no, you can't be doing this. You can't be saying stuff like that giving authority over the wise men. And not only did he ask the, the king, um, you know, he wasn't only concerned about what he got, but he said, my friends, Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego, can you favor them? And he, the scripture tells us that they became administrators in the kingdom. So this is knowing God. Daniel praised God for his power and his might. Daniel thought of God as being in command of all things and how God is mightier than any mighty king, even Nebuchadnezzar. You're mighty, God. 
And he says it, and, and as we read in verses 47 to 49, if you're still in, in Daniel chapter 2, it says, truly, your God is the God, this is the king speaking, a God of all gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. See, this is what happens when we are rewarded for seeking God. He sought God for that interpretation, and God blessed him with rewards. Now, there is a link between this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in, in Daniel chapter 2 that we just read and the image that he made in Daniel chapter 3. So it shows us that Nebuchadnezzar deliberately made an entire statue of gold to say that the day of his reign and authority would never end. Because one of the things that he understood from that interpretation of the dream is your kingdom is coming down too. You might be gold. You might be at the highest point right now, but you're coming down too. And he said, wait a minute. There in the dream, I was only a head, but I'm going to make a whole body so that my, my statue does not uh, go down, that my statue is not disintegrated into dust. No, I'm making not only a head, but the whole body. That was his intent. And so that is the difference between us as believers. When, as believers, when we have experiences with God, we build on those experiences. We build on them. I hope you're building on them. I hope you're not having an experience with God and then you're just, okay, and you don't connect anything. These are steps in God that we connect. And so a non-believer doesn't think that way. The non-believer thinks, where can I find the loophole? There's got to be a loophole that I could get around what God is trying to do. And so God's saying that I'm only ahead. I'm making a whole body. His thought. And so this is the second lesson that these Jewish Hebrew young men are learning, right? He, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this 90-foot high, 9-feet-wide statue. He invites all of his officials, his dignitaries. Come, let's celebrate my image, you know. And all the officials of the provinces, they come to the dedication of the image. And so this is a big thing. And so he has this whole orchestra, all kind of instruments, and, you know, he says, okay, when you hear all the instruments, you got to bow down before my image. And so we know this from knowing the story. The orchestra plays, plays his music. Everyone goes down except these three, these three Hebrew men. Now, this is where I, where I want to ask you, well, what happened to the 10,000 people? What happened to the 10,000 captives that had gone along with them? Here we have three. Now, Daniel wasn't there because I'm almost sure that if Daniel had been there, he would have stood with them. Daniel wasn't there. He was somewhere else. He wasn't there for this event. And so the scripture tells us that these magi, these, these men that were part of this group, you know, the magicians and the astronomers and all of those, they pointed out to the king that these three men did not bow down. There's always somebody that's going to point you out. Oh, you know that one over there? That's a Christian. Oh, yes. That, that one? Oh, uh-huh. They go to church every Sunday. That's a church. See that one over there? That's a church boy. There's always somebody that's going to point you out. 
point you out. What are you going to do with that? And so the scripture tells us that the, the, the edict had been, if you don't bow down, immediately you're going to be taken and you're going to be thrown in the furnace. But this is not what we see in this chapter. In this chapter, he pauses and the king calls them and says, is this true? Is this true what they're telling me? Is this true? And in that conversation, the king gets so heated when they tell him basically, you know, you're our king and we love you and we respect you, but there's one greater than you. And I don't have to explain myself to you. God has to explain what he's told us to do. And that got him so upset that he asked them to heat up the furnace seven times more than it already was. To the point that this furnace was so hot that those men that they picked handpicked the strongest officers that they had to throw them into the furnace. They winded up dying when they opened the door to the furnace and the three men flew into the furnace. And the scripture tells us that the king leaped to his feet in amazement because now he wasn't seeing three men, but he was seeing four. And this is the revelation that I'm talking Pagan king, he gets a revelation and he says, and he looks like the son of God. Gets that revelation. Like Peter, when he got that revelation, well, who does everybody say I am? And who do you say I am? God is interested in who we say we, he is. I don't care what this one says or that one says, but what do you say? What do you say about me? What do you say about our relationship? What do you say about how I am with you? What do you say about how I love you? Right? He says, the fourth looks like the son of God. And so... Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came before the king. They didn't smell like smoke. Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothes weren't singed. They were perfectly fine. See? And the king had to once again say, I mean, he's constantly saying the same thing. He's just not getting it. I decree that anyone that says anything in any language or any nation against the God of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. Because no other God can save in this manner. Amazing. Amazing. You get revelations from God. You get dreams from God. You get visions from God. You get all this information that no other way could you get it unless God gave it to you. And then we get this and we just sit there and go, hmm. And we go on about our lives. Like if that's a small thing. If God is giving, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, that's next week. Mm. I'm just going to say this one little thing. If God is giving you revelations like that, and you just sit and, you, and you're just enjoying it for yourself, and you're not sharing it with the body of Christ, then you are definitely not operating correctly in your gifting. But that's next week. I got to let that one go. It's good. Mm. next week so then what what happens he promotes them he promotes them after this event so this is the second event so then we have the third event happening quickly i'm going to go through this really quick i'm almost done starts in chapter four of daniel and here he is having another dream the king and the way he starts it you say wow there's been a change in the king. He starts it, you know, really great and, oh, 
I'm praising God and he's so wonderful. And look, I had a dream before and he gave me Daniel and Daniel gave me the, the dream and he gave me the interpretation. Oh, this is wonderful. So I had another dream and this has to be another wonderful dream. And so he has this dream. He sees this large tree. And this tree is providing for many nations. And underneath, it sounds like a beautiful picture. You got to read it. And underneath the tree, you know, the animals are also being blessed by being able to be under the tree and everything is great. But then all of a sudden, the branches of the tree are hacked off. See? And so there's, there's a messenger that comes from heaven and does this. And so he's thinking, okay, Daniel, tell us the interpretation. And he's thinking, oh, this is going to be great, you know. And Daniel says, oh, this is what the dream is. And he says, you will be driven away from your people. And like cattle, you will be on all fours. You will eat grass and you will lose your mind for seven years until you're able to claim that he is God above all. Okay, wait. Wait. This is not what I'm expecting. This is not what I'm expecting. So this is the prophetic word. Now, God gives him. This is the way God is. He gives him a whole year to repent. One whole year. Go read it. It didn't happen right away. One whole year God gives him to repent from what God is saying that he's doing. That he's taking all the glory. He's not giving any back to God. And in that one year, on the day of that one year, he stood on the roof of his palace and he said, look at all the wonderful things that I've done. Look at this that I've built to my glory. And the minute he said that, his year was up. A voice comes from heaven and his prophetic punishment begins. He spent seven years as an animal. Now, this is what I found very interesting about this whole story, was that he called for the furnace to be heated seven times to punish these Jewish young men that did not bow before God. And now his punishment was that for seven years, he was going to be crawling around like an animal. I'm like, boy, God, you really have a sense of humor. Seven years. It goes right back to that, to that verse. I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you. Wow. Seven years that he spent. And, and this is what I think was even a greater miracle, that in those seven years, no one overtook his kingdom. Seven years is a long time. You know, you're up today, you could be down tomorrow in this kind of an environment. And yet God protected his kingdom and all that he owned for seven years. And at the end of seven years, he cried out to God. Right? Let me see if I got those verses. He praised and exalted the king of heaven because God had restored all to him. So all his kingdom, everything had been restored to him. After seven years, he was like, wow. So what an incredible experience he had. I think that's the greatest. And so as we, as I come to the conclusion of this, this part of the series, I want you to think about all those questions that I gave you. 
And I want you to think about this king. Because Daniel knew who he was. These three Hebrew men knew who they were. This king, it took all of these experience for him to finally get it. That God is the one that places and takes away. Finally took him three experiences to get it. And so how many experiences are you going to go through before you get it? How do you know if you have lost your identity? How do you know? How do I know if I've lost my identity? When you question whether you're even saved. God, am I saved? Am I really saved? You question, you question it. Am I saved? You question whether you're growing at all spiritually. I feel like I'm the same person I was and I don't seem to be getting out of this loop that I'm in and I don't feel like I grow spiritually and I, and I hear the messages and I hear the words and I read the word and I don't feel the least bit interested in anything. You have to show growth. I, I'll tell you one thing we learned from reading this book of Daniel. We learned who Michael was. We learned who Gabriel was. We learned deep prayer. I've been into this thing lately about deep prayer. And deep prayer is not only, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray the Our Father, who, you know, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, and that's good enough, and I get up and move away. But deep prayer is going so much into our spirit and going into God to the point that we're not only praying about ourselves, but now we're praying about situations and we're praying about kingdoms and we're praying about nations and we're praying and we're willing to pray however long it takes. That's deep prayer. That's Daniel praying for something and waiting three weeks for him to get the response, even though God had already sent it the moment he prayed. He continued to pray deep prayer where you don't even know what to say to God. You don't know what, what to tell him what's going on inside of you. But this deep prayer makes you moan and groan. And all you can do is cry out to God because you don't know how to formulate the words in the English language. And so you find yourself in the spirit of God, which is within you. This is where the scripture tells us that the spirit of God moans and weeps on our behalf. Because we want to tell God things, but we don't know how to put it into words. And so here we learn about deep prayer in the book of Daniel. And so from chapter 1 all the way through every single chapter in Daniel, we see a growth and a change and an advancement. And so I ask you, do you see a growth? Do you see a change? Do you see an advancement in your own personal lives? This is how you know. Whether you've lost your identity, you're just floating around. And so therefore, you're, you're, because you have no identity, anything that happens outside in the world, it drags you along with it. This is happening here, I'm dragged over here. This is happening over there, I'm dragged over here. You know, and, and we find ourselves con constantly being in a whirlpool in this world because we've not learned yet to stand in God because we don't know our identity. Once you know your identity, you stand in God and there's no power on earth that could move you. As a matter of fact, I dare say this. There's no power of the devil that can move you. He can't move you. You're standing and you know you're standing because that's what God expects of you at that moment. And the scripture even tells us, just be still and stand there. Sometimes that's all you have to do is stand there and trust God. Trust God. 
because I know who I am in him and he's my father and I'm his child and there's nothing that's going to happen to me that God is not going to see me through because I know where I stand with him. Oh, if you don't know where you stand with God, then you've lost identity. If you want to pray, but you feel like you pray and it's not getting past the roof of your room, then you've lost identity. Because my identity tells me that my father looks forward to hearing from me. And if something is making me happy, he wants to hear that and join me in my joy. But if I'm in pain, if I'm in sorrow, if I'm in loss, he needs to hear that because he wants to cry with me. And more than crying with me, he takes me through it. He carries me when I have to get carried. He lifts me up when I have to get lifted up. He strokes me when I have to get stroked. And if I'm, I'm hurt, you know what? He takes the balsam of the Holy Spirit and he just takes that balsam and he slaps it on me. He, he, scoop. Better than Bengay. Wow. These are the things that God does. Oh, I'm done. I'm done. Identity. So this was identity. Next week, we're going to be talking about your giftings. Mm -hmm. Think about your giftings as you do, you know, read chapter five. How many did I tell you? Five to eight? Read those chapters. We're going to be talking about gifting. Gifting. If your giftings are asleep, if your giftings are in a state of frozen animation, Wherever your giftings are, we need to get those things defrosted, right? Dethawed, and we need to get you moving in the right direction. That's next week. Bow your heads, I'm going to pray over you. Listen, if anyone says, wow, my identity is so, I, I don't even know what I am anymore. I don't know who I am. Just stand wherever you are, and you're going to leave here today with an absolute assurance that you are a child of God. And that God is your father and that you are never alone. So if you need that special prayer, you stand up while I pray and I'm going to pray wherever you are. All right? Father, we're thankful. We're so thankful this morning. Your presence is ever with us. You guide us and you lead us to all understanding of your word so that we can grow, so that we can Oh, Lord, just know who we are and our place before you. As king of kings, you have chosen the best. You've chosen us. You've chosen the best. So, Father, let us never let you down. Let us never forget that were it not for you, we would be totally lost right now. But thank you, God, that as being your child, you continue to pour into us of your kindness, your mercy, your grace. Father, I pray for those of us that are lost in this whirlpool because I know that there's some of us that are lost, Lord. Father, let them see the way out. Let them see the light of the way out. Let them be able to hear your voice. If they could just hear your voice, Lord, and extend a hand, you will grab onto them and get them out. And so, Lord, I pray for them so specifically that you just keep them and teach them, Lord, your ways. 
And Father, I just pray blessings on everyone here today. Just pour blessings on them, Lord. Let them see all through the week the reward of those that seek you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, believing it, Lord. We believe it. You said it, and we believe it. And God's people said, amen. Be blessed today.